Hi, I'm Yushuan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. Welcome back, guys. Welcome to another episode of Into the Unknown. I'm here with, again, Connor Campbell. And today, oh, we've got a big one today. I've, I've been excited about this all week, and, and so is Connor, I think. Um, but, you know, when Connor and I first started this podcast, we said straight away, like, we don't want to just talk about fitness and sport. We want to get into some of the wider, bigger issues and topics around around sports and how that relates to the communities that sports are in and and the world around us and so today we want to break the ice and talk about a little bit about diversity and inclusivity in sports and you know we both decided that this is obviously a massive topic and we can't talk about all of it in an hour so we're going to make this a four-part series and for the first part I mean, I, I don't know about you, Con, but I'm really excited for this. We don't know how, but we've managed to get a pretty big guest today in the form of Khadija Miller. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, I don't feel like I'm that big, but thank you for hyping me up so much. Yeah, I mean, we'll let the, you say we'll that, let the but, listeners judge that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll let the listeners see if they fit. So Khadija is, if you don't already know, she is currently at Brighton Uni studying mechanical engineering and is in her final year. But in 2019, she won the Magnolia Cup, uh, which for those of you who don't know is pretty big. It's a, um, so she's a horse racing jockey. The Magnolia Cup is held every year at Goodwood Racecourse. And she is the first British Muslim uh, racing jockey. Uh, female racing jockey and the first British Muslim to win a race in the UK. She has also founded a racing academy, Riding a Dream. And I mean, another another flex is just that she's been in a Nike ad. (laughs) 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 But yeah, no, thank you so much for being here. I mean, it's such an honor to have someone like you come on and obviously so relevant to what we want to talk about today and I'm sure we're going to have those to talk about but obviously I mean I just read out some of the achievements on that long list and I'm sure there's much more to come inside and outside of horse racing but to start off with take us to take us to day one what, what was um, the Jamela doing day one how did you get into riding how did you get into horses? Okay, so back backstory. Um, I I loved horses growing up. Um, I don't know why. I just I was a little girl in Peckham that thought I really want, I love animals. I really want a horse. Um, I don't know. It's just like you know how there's like the really weird horse girl in your school. Um, I was her. She was me. And I there is no embarrassment being the horse girl in the class. Um, so yeah, I, I tried to get my parents to take me riding lessons. Obviously, it was kind of far, kind of expensive. So it'd be like an, a monthly slash, like, it would be like a treat after doing like well at school or something. Um, 
but it wasn't something that I could do regularly. So I wasn't getting very far within my riding. And then I was like, oh, I'll try and like share a horse in Bromley at the ripe old age of 11, just on Gumtree looking at random horses for share. My, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My parents were like, she's crazy. And I was like, yeah, I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so then my mum found out about Ebony when I was about 11 or 12, um, roughly at the same time as my like weird Gumtree experience. Um, and my parents were like, ah, oh, this is a set, this is a way better option. And it's 15 minutes away and it's seven quid a lesson instead of like 30 quid a week. So tell um, us, tell, sorry to interrupt, but could you tell us a bit about Ebony Horse Club? Because obviously, like you say, you grew up in Peckham, you grew up in London and it's, it's horse riding and horses in general. It's not really, it's not a big thing in London and you don't really see much of it. And yeah, I think everyone should just know about Ebony anyway. So could you just tell us a bit about that? Ebony is literally like my second home. It's it's a really incredible place. I don't know how to articulate how incredible it is because it's a very physical thing that has impact long term. And sometimes you don't even see it. Sometimes you do. And it's, it's a riding centre, long story short, um, and also a youth club charity in Brixton, which is like the heart of the most deprived not most but a deprived part of South London um I live in Peckham which is beside Brixton so I wasn't actually supposed to ride at Ebony because I was actually out of the catchment area but my dad um knew how much it meant to me to ride so he kind of like kept visiting and eventually like pleaded with them enough to take me and my brothers my brothers my brother my sister um so yeah it's a club that not only facilitates social interactions for young people, um, but also integrates learning to ride, horse care, um, animal welfare. And it, it breaches, you know, if you wanted to learn how to do, you know, write a CV, they did workshops for that. Um, if you wanted to try and like get links to uh, academic routes of volunteering and, and, and that sort of stuff, they had access to basically it's it's a hub for opportunity and loads of people within the riding and equestrian world um come together to help support ebony therefore meaning that loads of the people at ebony get loads of links to individuals of influence which is really important sounds absolutely incredible i i've got goosebumps if i wasn't wearing this like honestly that's it just sounds like it, it it's so unique like, I mean, you could have easily just gone, yeah, it's a horse riding centre. But it's, it, no, to it's, you, it's, it's so, much so much more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Love. I absolutely um, love that. Listen, if you ever are about South London, I'm happy to show you around. So that could well, be. I actually live in South London. Really I live in New Cross. The road. <laughs> oh, yeah, you mentioned. So, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> if you've got I a mean, spare weekend, I ride on Sundays. So I have to quickly uh, preface this with. Uh, I've never actually, well, I've never sat on a horse because back when I was a child, when I was at school, uh, I was mucking out some horses and I got kicked by a horse. So I've always had a little bit of a fear. Basically, of this guy, this guy has been doing my strength and conditioning coaching for the last three or four years, <laughs> and he's shit scared of horses, and he doesn't. That is tragic. <laughs> that is tragic, dude. I've, I've been kicked by horses on multiple occasions. Really. That's what I've been yeah. trying to say. It's part it's of it's a language it. of love. You gotta yeah. <laughs> you gotta take it as a language of love and then move on. So eleven year old Khadija, living in inner city London, riding in Brixton, 
how so tell us a bit about you know how did you go from there to to getting into racing into horse racing and winning the magnolia cup which is one of the most prestigious races year round in the uk um, i didn't necessarily have an interest in horse racing but within ebony uh, as i said there were many opportunities that were presented to us like i did a little bit of polo um because of the ties to guard polo guards polo academy and ebony um i did a little bit of you know eventing show jumping cross country i did a little bit of everything like i have to say that you know I, i'm very grateful to ebony for the amount i got to learn and expand my knowledge around the equestrian world um and very very luckily an individual called ollie bell who was a patron of ebony and tried to enhance links between the racing world and the rest of the uk and and i guess cities and, and urban and um diverse areas he was like i love ebony and i love what you guys do we should get an individual to do a a high profile race and, and try and get some publicity for ebony and make a documentary around it um the requirements for the race was you had to be 18 and a, and a woman or a girl so um there weren't many individuals at the time that were 18 and female apart from me um so they were like give it a go yes or no and i was like can't really say no my brother's done a bit of racing and i've always been like wow that looks so cool i just didn't realize there'd ever be a path for me to touch or like navigate the racing stereotypically racing is very divorced from my reality right when you look at racing on tv you look at the riders they're white people when you look at the presenters most of them white people when you look at the spectatorship they're also white people so to me it was like ah that's not my place that's not my people um that's just the narrative growing up as well like you know you, you don't ever get told you can train to be a jockey as one of your career paths you know it's just study hard, get to university, get a job that will give you financial security. And that's how I was raised. Um, the spin-off was that I had a USP, I guess, that I, I rode horses and that was something that my life included. However, racing was even still divorced from that. Um, and then this in individual from racing, Ollie Bell, he's a presenter. He was like, let's give it a go. Let's get a young person at Ebony to ride. Um, I happened to be said girl um, and Initially, the training was really rough and I was doing my A-levels and I was fasting, so it was not looking good. Um, I failed my first assessment, predictable, to be fair. When I look back at it, no way I was going to pass anyway. Um, with the amount of experience and riding and, and fitness, like it was just a recipe for disaster. And then I did like five weeks of intense, like intense training. Um, and I lived in Newmarket and I found a horse to race with, loved the horse and we won. So happy days casually just you won. yeah <laughs> yeah just that's quickly so go didn't back. expect it can i just say <laughs> yeah that's fun actually what's what's interesting so you just mentioned that obviously you had no prior experience of you know being a horse racer as it were or kind of jockey and we actually just finished a podcast talking about you know success and failure and kind of what that means and what you learn along the way so just to quickly before you go on you know you mentioned you failed your first assessment um what sort of things did you learn about that process and then being able to apply that into you know eventually what you just did where you won the race right i learned a lot from that day to be fair um i, I learned that people can be ruthless because the way in which i got failed um mm. was very cutthroat they did not give like a flying fart about whether i was hurt yeah. 
Um, you can swear, by the way. This is not. This is a. Yeah, it's not a child's podcast. This is a. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you for letting me know. <laughs> yeah, no, they really did not care whether my feelings were hurt, which I was like, yeah. whoa. I've been babied my entire life. How dare you? <laughs> mm. um, and then I was like, okay, just you have to bite your tongue and just move on. Um, I realized that like I was years of experience behind everyone in, 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 the, in the racing world. Um, so I was starting off already behind, like, yeah. Um, the people I was racing against were very like established women that had like successful careers behind them. So I was kind of thrown into the deep end a little bit. I realized that my outlook on life had to change and starting behind isn't necessarily like something to dwell upon. You just gotta keep moving and try and catch up. Um, and even if you do start behind, sometimes it's not the end of the world. Um, I realized that also within the racing world, I had to basically research a ton more because um, there's so much I didn't really understand. There is quite a lot behind it, I think, that. I, I learned and I probably will explain more as the questions are more specific. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, so I'm just so interested in, well, like you say, within the racing community and the kind of bubble that racing is in, like you right. say, you, you look at, you switch on ITV racing or whatever, and it's all the jockeys are white, you know, mostly men, um, <clears throat> all the presenters are white and you, they do a shot of the spectators and the grandstand, and it's just a sea of white faces as well. So, yeah. you know, you were coming into this as a minority in a way, um, in so many different aspects, you know, in, in race and gender, obviously there's a lot of successful women jockeys in Rachel Blackmore and Brownie Frost and stuff, but still the men, like, obviously really outnumber the women. How... How sort of coming into that environment and that community and people obviously seeing you as as an outsider and someone who's not who's not a, a white man who's grown up around horses and things like that, how welcoming was was the community and how sort of included did you feel? Generally speaking, people did try. I think the racing community, one thing I'll say is they're not I think it, this is a very difficult question to ask because like coming from a city like uh, community and, and, and my background, interacting with these people I found was difficult in general as a work rider. There's different sort of people I interacted with. There were the people that were spectators and they were like the middle class, upper class kind of part of the spectatorship. And they were really easy to get along with. And it was more about like educating them about who I was and I went to a private school growing up. Well, half of my childhood was in private school, the secondary school. So like I was very well versed, if you know what I meant, with like talking to people about certain topics and I could I could interact with them quite easily. Um, when it came to racing specific, like people riding, I found that impossible because their banter was different. Um, the age, the age margins was, were higher. Like these people were, 25 26 and at the time I was 18 so I didn't actually interact with a lot of the people when I was riding I just kept to myself I was doing my own thing um and 
when it came to the trainers and owners, I didn't I didn't understand their roles one hundred percent. So I just I due to my ignorance, I just kept quiet um, until I really understood what was going on. Also, people in authority scared me a lot. So I was like, as long as I like I don't cause them any problems, hopefully that would mean the least tension, and I could just continue with my journey. What I, what I didn't want to do was make any enemies, and that was that was all my like my route through through racing was like don't make any enemies don't cause any trouble do what you got to do and basically treading on eggshells kind of um because the more chaos I caused that like that was an imprint that I was going to leave behind on these people for a very long time um and they don't have any other examples of people of my background to work off of so if I do something wrong that's like ah every minority that comes into racing they're going to be a trash rider or they're going to be hopeless at, you know, you know, riding or something. I don't know. I feel like I, I continuously ha- have to carry that. And that's a responsibility I hate at the moment. That, like, if I do something wrong, I might be leaving a long-lasting imprint of people's uh, opinions on on city riding kids. Or, do, you I don't genuinely, know. do you genuinely feel that? Do you think that just because of, of who you are and your background, like, you naturally have have that sort of duty, I guess, to to represent people like you, as it were, to this community. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, my brother, I, as I said, he had a riding and, and racing background before me. So he was interested in racing way before me. When I, when I got the opportunity to race, he was sat there and he was like, are you serious? Like, she's done no racing whatsoever and she's getting this big, like, riding gig. That's, that's ridiculous. And... Um, eventually though he got over and he was like I'm gonna help you do this if you're gonna do it and I was like yeah I'm doing it and then he's like okay well I'm your mentor from now on and I was like perfect I need one nice um so yeah he did pony racing and uh he started riding for a trainer on it on his own accord he just emailed James Franshaw and he was like you know what yeah we've got some spares that would need riding and they're relatively docile so yeah so he's done he's done the grafting on his own he didn't really have the support he had like a bit of support from Ebony and um the pony racing authority but he did his own thing and he's a much better rider than me and in my in my opinion he could have been a really successful jockey he did his amateur license doors closed like very quickly um and the excuse was his experience um and he displayed that he was a good rider but just because of the fact that he didn't live in you know a community that like racing was like day in day out what they did um, he wasn't born on a yard. He didn't have resources around him. He didn't get to ride since he was like six. And that was an excuse for them to be like, you know what? You're definitely not a good rider then. Um, so any any little excuse, I feel like people will happily pick up on and, and use the excuse that experience riding, you know, racing welfare. Like we don't want to have dangerous riders because that's the biggest thing. The top priority is making sure that we're licensing people that, that are, are going to be safe and that are going to, perform to a high quality um and that's a loose like margin like that's a loose line to declare whether people can be or cannot be jockeys um and I have another young person that I ride with called Kanan um and he's a 10 out of 10 individual who who can ride exceptionally well um he rides everything that's scary like anything that's scary he's on it he's he can he can tame anything like he can ride anything and I'm 100% certain he would also be an amazing jockey unfortunately doors, doors don't open for him if anything let alone close 
Um, so he hasn't had a chain that would give him the time of day to take his license, let alone like get his license like at all. Yeah, um, yeah I mean that's so, yeah. to prove your riding ability is really difficult. Long story short. Think, so yeah, no, that that's really interesting. I think mm. um, in terms of like you say, proving your riding ability and having to prove yourself. Do you think that comes from a lot of sort of presuppositions that people have or about people who don't look like or don't come from the same kinds of places as your typical riding person would be? And, and as a result, you have to work, you know, double or triple as hard to just to show that you're actually as good as everyone else, if not better, just because yeah. of you know, you growing up in the <clears throat> color of your skin or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, as an outsider, people always have speculations, like whether or not I think, in my opinion, in racing, I was from any background whatsoever. They still want to see that. Yeah, actually, I don't. I don't know. It's it's hard to define, but in my opinion, coming from where I'm, I come from, there's that element of I have to definitely prove a little bit more that I'm, I'm worth people's time um especially because I yeah I agree yeah you're right I think so I just be, I just ask because I kind of relate with that quite a bit and I know how difficult it is to to say these things as such because um well for, for, for my, me I for struggle articulating it yeah, like, so from my own experience from eventing, so obviously I grew up in Hong Kong and Hong Kong is in many ways like London in that it's a big city and, you know, horses and growing up with horses and that, that sort of countryside gig isn't really, isn't really our thing. So we didn't, I didn't grow up around horses or on a farm or anything. My parents weren't horsey. So I did a similar thing of going to riding schools and that sort of um path into into the sport but it's never really crossed my mind that that this I was an outsider in this eventing community because at the time all the people around me were you know we had people from every background we had um you know Asian people white people like the kids that I rode with were were came, came from loads of different backgrounds and it wasn't just upper class white people as such um and so yeah and obviously we had like I speak about the Asian games which you know is just Asian athletes competing at top level and that was always yeah. a big inspiration for me but then coming to the UK and realizing that entering the eventing community here and in Europe I was like wow like I'm actually really different from a lot of these people um in terms of well, quite straightforwardly, the the color of my skin. Like I, I'm not white, but also just in terms of experience and life experience and background of where we come from. Like the, for a lot of these people, horses and riding is like second nature. You know, they it's ingrained in their in their culture and their upbringing, growing up around horses. I think the worst thing is for for people from different communities like us, we don't have. The contacts we don't have the support we don't we don't know the people that can pull the strings like even if you're a average rider trying to make it to a, a place that's like where you can stretch and and push the boundaries of your own ability that's difficult if you don't have the individuals 
um, that can carry you there and, and help you. And I think that's that's what lacks in my, for me, I was very lucky I had the support, my brother didn't. Yeah. And that's why he didn't get far. Yeah, 100%. And yeah. I think it's so difficult as well, like you say, that, so for me entering this mostly white, mostly rich community, it was for the most part, extremely welcoming. And uh, really like I felt included and I felt like I, um, I didn't really have any problems getting on with people or that sort of thing. But it's that sort of underlying, um, I don't really know how to explain it and maybe you can do it better, but it's the kind of sort of people assume that, that you're not as good or you're, you're not as good a rider without even seeing you get on a horse just from your background and and who you are and and i and i remember and, and these are you know perfectly nice people that yeah i didn't i didn't i didn't i didn't actually receive any racism yeah the racing community I, was, not had, was chilled like, i've not had people yeah as you say be racist towards me but i've had you know i, I was away at a competition and i remember the a lot of the riders from the Chinese team was there. And this was, I think, um, the year of Olympic qualifiers and stuff. And someone just said to me, oh, wow, these, these guys actually ride okay. Like they, they're better than expected. But why was that expectation there? Well, it's because they didn't come from this Eurocentric equestrian focused background. And uh, at the same time, like there was another time when I went to try a horse to buy and yeah it went quite well and I remember at the end I got off and I was chatting to the lady and she said something to me along the lines of um you know you you actually ride pretty good like I, I wasn't expecting that from, from I think that's like I don't know what boring, the you know? I don't know what the definition 100% of my progressions are but I feel like that's that would be under the category of like a, a minor com minor comments that mean so much behind the scenes of, of someone's like outlook on individuals because I I was an underdog for many reasons um but in my opinion it was because of experience not just because of where I'm from which ties into it um but I when given the opportunity worked hard enough to try and make up that that ground that distance that riding um time that I didn't have so I feel like it's just annoying. That's what it is. It's just annoying. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, it is pretty annoying. But Do you think it's also difficult in both of your perspectives because, you know, ultimately in most sports at the top level, maybe more so in equestrian, there are a lot of, you know, white people. It's difficult because you don't have anyone to look up to, you know, as in, there's no specific, this is where someone started in Brixton or Peckham or anywhere else in an urban community that is uh, has the same hurdles as you and they are now at that top level. And I think... Yeah, that's a very interesting point because I, I, as, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about it and as um, Yuzan said, like these microaggressions and, and situations where we're put well, we're giving backhanded compliments based on the, the hard work that we've done. Like ultimately, because we are the first people to 
demonstrate to them that you know we are competition we are people that have ability like naturally speaking if someone I didn't realize or I, I didn't know in the field came and proved to me that they were doing as good as me if not better I'd be relatively surprised too it's just it comes with unfortunately being the first um and uh, and one thing that frustrates me is within in within riding specifically like horses can feel your I'd say mental well-being and how you're thinking and your your vibe do you know what I mean and that affects your vibe quite a lot and as an athlete like that's why if you're, you're running thanks yeah no as an athlete <laughs> when you're running it's just you your legs and like the track you don't have to w- worry about a horse and whether they're feeling you and whether your anxieties are translating to your riding because I feel like with me at the moment less so when I was training because my thoughts head empty thoughts none just working on getting to this race like I didn't care about what people thought of me my primary like yeah my primary goal was getting through these assessments not letting people down and just getting getting to this race um safe and sound I didn't want to hurt or break anything because I did that earlier on in the year and I broke my coccyx I didn't want to do that again um Mm. but yeah I feel like in, in racing at the moment it's affecting my 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 mental well-being and my outlook on my performance in riding affects affects my I don't know like as I said imposter syndrome and like uh making sure that I prove people wrong and not make any mistakes I think scares me out of riding sometimes which is really bad I mean that's super interesting I think like you were saying earlier with you know growing up uh, with the background that you have being a professional jockey for example and riding horses uh, for a living like these weren't things that that you could look at and be like yeah that's what I want to do easily at least because and and that's because of I'd assume that's because of the lack of the lack of people from the same background who are there already like the lack of representation so do you think that feeds into it like that's an important thing to have representation do you ever get that sorry can i just quickly ask do you ever just get like before a competition like not only do you have to perform well but you also like have to perform slightly better than everyone else to make a statement i don't know i just Um, any fault that i make i feel like is amplified a million percent in my brain hundred percent hundred percent like i i think whether or not it's you know I try to not think about that and not think that way because obviously that doesn't translate well into into my mindset going into performance but I think that it's a natural it comes naturally with and kind of inevitably with the fact that you are a you are different from from everyone else you see there and you you know you feel like you have to doubly prove yourself and show that you know you are as good as as everyone else they're competing which actually is such a stupid thing because if you go to your regular british eventing competition in the uk like you'll see that people don't ride good because they're white like there's a lot of people who in the nicest way possible aren't that good and I, i don't you know we shouldn't have to feel like we have to prove that we're as good as them just because just because we're not them but do you, how much of that do you think comes down to lack of representation like do you think that it would be better if 
you had say um role models as such from similar backgrounds as yourself that were at the top of racing or do you not think it makes a difference and people can find that it makes a difference yeah yeah 100 percent, it makes a difference because i'm at the very bottom of my ladder in terms of a journey of a jockey um and i've already been thrown into the spotlight as a role model which i think is very ambitious because i i still think that i have a lot of development as a rider however say if i was a champion jockey um i just know that that means no one can question whether a person like me can make it um because ultimately with my brother the the i'd say the discrimination is rooted with the fact that no one has made it um so therefore like why you you can try but it's not going to really work out for you because you haven't been born on a farm riding for years and years however if someone that wasn't born sorry sorry continue if someone that, that wasn't born on a farm and was born in a city did make it and did win you know the grand national like ascot races um you know group ones that would mean that no one can deny any young person coming through the ranks their opportunity do you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. i suppose uh, another element of that is that you I, I don't know if you feel the same way and and you probably do but i for me as a rider and a, and a, a competitor in the sport i don't just want to be don't want to be seen as oh, he's pretty good for a, for a foreign rider or he's pretty good for someone from Hong Kong. I, I just want to be good, you know, I just... Yeah, that's such an interesting story. point. I, I, I've recently had more and more of this conversation now that I'm on the tail end of all of the media that I received um, from the race. I had someone say to me, like, what angle do you want to go forwards as? Like, are you, are you trying to be the Muslim jockey or are you trying to be the jockey that is, succeeds... Yeah. And, and just does well because of their talent. And I'm like, it's it's such a weird balance that I'm trying to create between the both because I'm conflicted all the time because I don't want to be known as, you know, the tokenistic Muslim girl that won a race and she rides horses. Um, I also want to be known for the fact that I did a really high profile race within two months and it was really difficult for me. And I, 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 I re- you know, received a lot of but I went through a few challenges and it was, it's difficult riding horses in general and race horses specifically for me was like the transition from riding normal school horses to race horses was insane. And I don't recommend it like any day. Don't do it. It's <laughs> like you do going, try from, it, a, like, good going luck. from a push bike to a Ferrari. Yeah, exactly. Like you've got to learn the buttons and I didn't know the buttons or like the steering wheel to go. I'm just nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I think it's a duality that you're trying to for me it's a duality that I'm trying to balance and make sure that people don't sway too far with yeah she's a token Muslim girl but also I want to represent my background and where I'm from and the fact that you know Muslim women get a lot of bad press I need to make up for that by having a positive news story and it's my responsibility to educate people on the fact that you know Muslim girls are are more than just like housewives or whatever the stereotype is um on the flip side, I want to make it in, in, in racing because of my ability. However, my ability isn't quite there yet. So it's like, ah! yeah. it would be great to get to the point in a few years where it's like, yeah, Khadija Amela, she's achieved all of this. Oh, by the way, she's also a Muslim and she's female. 
to be fair like, I feel like sometimes you're right however my hijab speaks <laughs> for itself and I feel like mm. for people to have a new story that's like and she's Muslim really like did mm. did did people not see the hijab like <laughs> I feel like sometimes with with newspapers and articles they kind of shove it down people's throats that I'm Muslim and I'm like they know mm. it's self-explanatory and I feel like yeah. the next you know black young individual that comes into racing they're going to be like and they're black really like can mm. we just they came from a deprived <laughs> background say. yeah yeah say they came from an urban background just say they're from you know uh for, oh yeah, yeah i think background yeah. upbringing and opportunity and the amount you've trained is so much more important and that's what really makes an athlete like how much graft and, and and time you've had um and i think that should be celebrated more than just i wear a hijab because realistically that didn't yeah. stop me from riding racehorses that much at all no no 100 and it's I an mean, accessory it's not the main focus so yeah yeah like Absolutely. you say it's, it must be well it is extremely difficult sort of balancing that like you say that duality between I want to represent hmm. represent these people and represent uh, where I come from, but also I just want to be known for my talent and my ability in the sport in general. Yeah. Just because hmm. I'm a minority or or I'm an outsider. But going back to to your background and and growing up and riding in Brixton, you know, you talk a lot about Ebony and how much that has done for you and how much they do for for other people other kids growing up in inner cities how how important do you think the role of you know like your racing academy and and riding centers in inner cities uh, and stuff like that how important of a role do they play in sort of broadening that diversity within the community um i think it's very important to have not only ebony horse clubs accessible to young people but also yeah the riding a gym academy is important to try and get as many people from like grassroots level and hopefully like i i am i have concerns for the success rate of all of the young people involved not because i don't think they can they have the ability and the talent but just because of how unexposed the industry is to people from different communities and i think there may be slight barriers um systematically that we'll have to face and try and like navigate. However, someone's got to do something um, from the top, from the bottom, from the spectators, from marketing, something, so, something's got to give, you know? Um, and hopefully there are going to be many more successful stories such as mine and hopefully further and further and higher and higher to a point in which we've infiltrated everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is such an amazing thing that you're doing and you know we're talking a little bit about that off air earlier on but you know without without beating around the bush I think especially in horse sports and equestrian sports and anything to do with horses the sort of one unique element of our sports that bring us all together regardless of race or background is that horses are fucking expensive yeah that in itself yeah yeah, it's such a big you know barrier to entry and 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 it's you know many people don't have the opportunities or the resources to even 
enter that community just purely from a financial point of view and so there's obviously the argument then that you know why why bother why bother broadening the sport and the community to those backgrounds you know let's say less privileged backgrounds or um people who wouldn't be able to afford it anyway like would we not be setting them up for failure i think the shift and difference between your side of the equestrian world um is that realistically speaking it is very i i i I can't speak specifically for eventing 100 percent, but from what i understand it is very elitist and and for the wealthy and the rich however in racing i i will happily say that like the people i i interact with on a day-to-day basis are with the working class they don't earn Mm. masses of like they don't earn a massive amount to become a jockey when you speak to most jockeys none of them came from a wealthy background and i think that's the difference between eventing and racing like you don't necessarily need to be wealthy because you get paid to ride which is hilarious because growing up i paid so much to ride and when i tell people that i get paid to ride they're like huh and i'm like well think about it like there are thousands to like millions of racehorses across the world in the uk um and they're all they they all need to be trained and exercised every morning who's going to do that uh it's not going to be the owners i can tell you that much because the owners are the rich and the wealthy that don't necessarily do the hard work day in day out obviously they do their own jobs but like in terms of racing the people that are are actually keeping the heart of racing going and, and pumping the blood around the entire body is is the work riders who are really really like sim not simple but like they are definitely not wealthy people so um to become a jockey you don't necessarily need wealth you just need people who believe in you which again as i said is difficult when you don't know people let alone they believe in you do you know what i mean but to get into racing and to to have that initial push from a person like me from my background um that's that's not happening and that's why the academy i think is going to do really well it's just trying to get contacts and allies within racing now to help support the young people that get involved. I think on the flip side for you, getting people into show jumping, getting people into cross country, um, into polo, into um, eventing is going to be an uphill battle because of money. I mean, yeah, and I you're can tell completely you right. Hundred percent. <laughs> but you know what you're doing is incredibly inspiring and it's it's i know that it's making a massive difference and impact to to people's lives and and even if you know even if you don't end up at the beginning with massive success of people entering racing as a career you end up with people being exposed to a world and a community that they would have never dreamed of seeing before in their lives and as a result of that, broaden their horizons. And also from a more, I guess, practical standpoint, like you've alluded to, it's so much about who you know, the connections you make, and just being exposed to those, those communities, those worlds. You meet so many people from different walks of lives that can, that can give you opportunities and resources that you would have 
never dreamed of having before um whether or not you choose to go into the sport professionally and yeah in terms of places like like ebony and and riding centers in cities in general you know their role as as a community and a place for kids to go to after school um to to interact in in the form of doing specific activities like doing riding and and the people that they meet through that that in itself is is such a such an amazing thing and such an important i think aspect of of that community that should be giving back i quick question to you um do you ever like have people contact you that are on this like at the beginning of their journey as a, a an equestrian individual or athlete or sports person because I've had situations where I'm like I'm trying to navigate um like racing and, and trying to get people into racing and then I've got people contacting me from like broader equestrian uh like ambitions like asking for how how I could help direct them through eventing and show jumping and that sort of that sort of thing and I've, I've just realized talking to them like I, I don't know how to help them at all like it seems impossible um, and as you said money is, is is such a big thing to become a you know a show jumper have the best horse trained day in day out and have the time and I think the biggest barrier for people in my community is realizing that or knowing whether they can have certain financial security and they and you just don't know that within within the equestrian world um I don't really know how to fix that, to be fair. That's going to be something that people are going to have to work on. Um, and hopefully investors will be more willing to sponsor, you know, people from different backgrounds. And hopefully that will encourage people from different backgrounds to risk uh, yeah. Yeah, devoting no, their life to horses. You're 100% right. It's, um, yeah. And it's something that I do get quite often. People... Um, messaging me whatever saying you know asking for advice and asking for you know how 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 I did it and how they can do it from from similar backgrounds i.e non-horsey you know um growing up in a city maybe not from that much money and quite often I just want to to tell them the truth and be like look a big part of it is that I got extremely lucky with investors and owners that, that that were willing to take a risk and put put their hopes and ambitions in the sport into me um and continue to be extremely lucky today with the with the people around me with the team around me and that goes as far as you know having friends like friends like connor who support me and obviously my girlfriend who's who continues to support me even in such a like a hectic lifestyle um which isn't just a given that everyone can have and but i think you're 100 percent right in the just getting people into those communities will be a massive help to that and i think if there are more places like ebony and more places for people to feel like hey it doesn't matter where you come from it doesn't matter where your background is you can you can take part in this sport whether that's recreationally at a grassroots level or if you want to take it further and that actually gives people people like investors people who want to 
want to help and want to broaden the the diversity and the the different people in the sport they can come to these places and they could come to these i guess hubs of of people from a broad range of backgrounds and be like hey look we want to support you and if those places don't exist then that first step isn't even there for people don't know where to go even if they want to help it's true you're right yeah yeah. i guess trying to develop more ebony's more academies is the way to go for now at at, at the very least that's it i mean from obviously my experience of I, I, I wouldn't consider myself in the equestrian world whatsoever. I'm just lucky enough to, to obviously speak to you and to, to have known you, Sean, for, for a number of years. But what you're talking about, you know, is something that starts from having not just role models like both of you that feed into people who come from those maybe certain socioeconomic backgrounds or, I don't know, different inner city areas. They can now go yeah, I want to do that. And so from the grassroots level, the more people there are, the easier it is for people to then go, this is a this is a possibility for us to do. And it's a big burden to have. It happened the same in, in the weightlifting community where ultimately the only barrier to entry for a weightlifter is you need a barbell, you need some plates and you need probably a coach. You don't need anything else. So ultimately it's anybody can get into the sport. doesn't matter where you're from. If you're from Africa, if you're from Brazil, if you're from Hong Kong, London, it doesn't matter. That's all you need. And and what we've noticed is, you know, our national governing body, which I'm not sure you guys have or, or how kind of um, interactive you are with those. You know, they've started to push diplomas for, for BAME athletes. They've started to push um, academy centres where they give funding to those centres to allow people from from underprivileged socioeconomic backgrounds, the privilege, or not even the privilege, sorry, that's probably not the right word, but the opportunity to 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 lift bar, lift bars, and on the surface it doesn't seem like a lot, but actually, so, someone lifting a bar could potentially mean the difference between them earning money for their family and you know whatever else could happen in in Peckham uh, or wherever else brazil and their favela whatever um yeah so it's exactly what you mean yeah yeah definitely and i think yeah like we've been alluding to this whole time the more you draw people in from different different backgrounds and different walks of life and the more opportunities they're given into into entering these communities and these sports whether they end up doing it as a career or they use it to springboard into into different other opportunities like that can only be a positive thing and you know I as well just as a as a side thing I think is quite relevant is that when I because I grew up in Hong Kong and in school I played a lot of rugby and it's you know in Hong Kong rugby is just we have the rugby sevens every year and it's just a big sport in general for everyone um you know a lot of the local kids played rugby like it, it was literally for everyone and so I didn't really think much of it and then I came I, I when I went to uni in London you know I had friends um, who grew up in the UK and grew up in London who were black or Asian and that kind of stuff and when I told them that I played rugby they're like 
why um <laughs> and uh, that was when i realized that here you know there's a sort of culture around rugby that it's for you know your white private school boys um and it's not accessible for anyone outside of that and so yeah i, th I think just that in itself and that lack of representation in a diverse background is a barrier in it and it's you know it's one that's beginning to be solved and it's very much needed because it in my opinion it only enhances the competition in sport like <clears throat> the more the more individuals you have from different walks of life the more i think the higher the competition is um generally speaking because you're tapping talent that hasn't been reached yet so you've got people that have crazy ability crazy different sort of like work ethics like for me when i got when i finally got given the opportunity to race i didn't take it lightly you know i took it very seriously um and i tried my absolute best um and i continue to so in my opinion there are going to be people with different work ethics and i'm not saying that being born on a farm means that your work ethics will be different it could be exactly the same but my point is that there are going to be people that will only bring better competition better better viewership um bring in spectators that are going to have that that much more passion um and that you know atmosphere to a sport is everything when i go to the races um the thing i love about racing is the atmosphere and even though these aren't my people necessarily because they're not from south london um these people are from like i don't know chelmsford and i've never been to chelmsford um <laughs> Like still, you can still feel the energy of being a human being and like the connection that human beings have to, to horses and the respect they have for horses. Um, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing that I think everyone should have the privilege of experiencing. And it's a shame that people from my community don't even realize how beautiful racing can be just based on bad marketing and, and, and bad exposure and like the lack of advertising towards that demographic of people. It really irritates me because like I love horses and I feel like it's selfish not to try and share my love with other people and unfortunately I think the racing industry has been to a certain extent a little bit selfish with their love for horses mm. I yeah, might, no, I might receive some backlash from the I mean, racing I... community <laughs> with that one well all I can say is you're you know you're doing an amazing job in in pushing those boundaries and, and opening opening your sport that you love up to opening up to everyone else and not keeping it in that little bubble, which is really admirable. On a, on a slightly different note, um, <laughs> Connor's been training me in strength and conditioning for the last what, three or four years. And over the, yeah. time, over the time we've been working together, like we've really, because you came in without any knowledge of, of equestrian sports and what we do. And since then, we've really kind of, developed ways to make me better on a horse that I could do off the horse and I know that he's been um super excited to ask you about uh, about what you do and, and that kind of stuff so over to you Con. I mean he already asked the question but yeah it's it's just for me like obviously coming from contact sports rugby football American football blah 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 it seems pretty simple on the surface, get them fast, get them strong, you know, whatever. It's quite simple. There's obviously complexities in there, but when I came into the realm of 
So, uh, you, Sean, what do you do? He goes, yeah, I do eventing. And I'm like, how the fuck do I train someone on a horse? Like, <laughs> what am I, where do I even start? So obviously, like you said, you know, we've developed a pretty good system to, to make him better. And that's not necessarily to say that it works for everybody. But what I'm interested in is obviously eventing requires a lot of different things. And I'm, I'm sure being a jockey does as well. So what sort of stuff have you kind of done uh, in the past and also I, I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this, but what, where do you kind of see it going? Like, has there been like a shift in focus of ha- how to train a jockey? Um, it's still very traditional. The biggest focus of any high-performing flat jockey, um, at, you know, an apprentice and champion level, the biggest concerns that everyone has is their weight. Um, mm. So your fitness does revolve around how light you can be so like heavy weight training um doesn't tend to be advised um unless you're built genetically to be very small unless you're a very short very light person then you can focus on building strength and weight um however most jockeys that i've interacted with do mainly a lot of cardio um and burning fat just maintaining like a a, a fat percentage that is so low it's kind of ridiculous um for me because i'm at the beginning of my jockey like journey um and i'm looking to do my amateur license soon so weight isn't necessarily something that i focus too much on obviously i still need to be below the 10 10 stone region um like and, and keep keep it within the 50 to 60 kg margin um but for me it's it's mainly always trying to to be a good rider and and ways in which i can be a good rider um so at the gym not only am i doing cardio but um there are specific uh exercises that i got taught when i was uh, in newmarket i was very lucky at the racing school and also at the jockey center um the racing center sorry um, there was a personal trainer that was once a jockey, so he knows exactly, like he tailored his workouts and he tailored his um, fitness, like information and knowledge towards what he knew he needed to work on whilst he was riding as a jockey. So then he translated that to my workouts and, and we did a personal training session with him and it was like 10 out of 10. Um, I felt like I, I was doing exercises that weren't wasting my time because I think there are a lot of people that go to the gym and they kind of want to look pretty whilst they're doing the exercises and, then, and they don't really actually tend to work on the muscles that need the help. Um, so it was nice to go to the gym for the first time and not waste my time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, though, when riding racehorses, specifically racehorses, can I say, because riding normal horses, I think, is a lot more to do with... Um, Obviously, you have to be incredibly fit, but you don't necessarily need to, like, yank on a, a horse that's at, like, like, 40 miles per hour and try and get them to not kill you. Um, depends, though. You might be on something feisty that <laughs> tries to kill you. So, I, I don't know. That's, that's Yushan's territory, so I'm not going to speak for him. But racehorses specifically, I always struggle, and I will continue to always struggle, to control racehorses. These These... These horses are on like high energy feeds. They they get given a high calorie intake. They're buzzing, like 
Mm. I say this all the time. I'm like, racehorses are normal horses on crack. They're literally like, like buzzing. <laughs> They're ready to go. Um, so for me, the biggest struggle in my journey has never ever really been falling off because I developed quite good balance riding these crazy creatures. Um, but getting them to stop, they don't stop. They just want to go, man. They love it. They just want to run. And the train is always like, it's funny because when you say jockey, you're always thinking, yeah, jockeys go fast. The 85% of your training will always be controlling and listening to a horse. Um, and on a, on a, like the structure of a, a jockey or a work rider, or if I could just break it down for you quickly because people don't really understand it. Um, you wake up, you get down to the yard before the crack of dawn, you get all your kit, get your horse ready and you check the list and there will be four five maybe six horses you have to ride in that morning um so a lot of the muscles you develop you don't even need the gym because you're riding so many goddamn horses that you develop all the muscles you need however you could always supplement it so the gym is for the people that are trying to push boundaries um but riding these horses like every morning you get a workout and a half i'm not even kidding like and it's it's very like scheduled it's like bam get on the horse warm them up do your do your piece of work ride the gallops get off wash the horse get the mm. next horse prepared and it's like bang 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 so and you're riding different horses sometimes every single morning um so like to that respect you don't really need workouts <laughs> um yeah you kind of learn on the job and before if i take a break and then i i try to get into racing again it's the worst thing ever because there are some muscles like now I kind of know where to work out, but before yeah. I was doing exercises and I thought that it would help and it didn't really, it didn't really help. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's quads, it's abs, it's yeah. shoulders and back. It's um, wrists. Funnily enough, like I think a lot of wrist training and wrist strengthening, forearm yeah. strengthening is another thing. Um, lower leg and like yeah. calf and, yeah, there's just there's a lot. It's it's very full body, you know. Yeah, I I, I mean, I can only imagine what it's like uh, riding six horses in a row. I mean, I went down to see. Uh, you know, I obviously don't hang around horses because it's not something that I'd that uh, I, I'd ever. I mean, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I, I, but, uh, I went down to to Gets see. Get kicked and, by one horse. Yeah, that's it. And I'm like, it's fucking hate these things. <laughs> I don't know why you'd like them. <laughs> I'll stick with dogs. No, but um, I went to go see uh, Yushan down at his stables last year. And, you know, I was expecting, like, you know, go down for the day and he'll be like one or two horses and like, oh, yeah, we'll be off in the afternoon. Mate, we got there. What was it like? Eight, eight o'clock? I don't know, whatever time it was. It was early anyway. It was cold. And he's like, oh, yeah, so this is my schedule today. And it was like a, a, a t like a, a table. So, so I've got to do... Um, I've got to take this horse out for, I don't know what the term you call it is. Um, and then I've got to do this or uh, jumping with this horse and then I have to go and do this horse. And then I've got to come back, probably have a little bit to eat. And I'm going to go and do this horse. And I'm literally just there like, right. So you're probably going to be riding for about a couple of hours. And he's like, no, nah, it's going to be like six, seven hours, bro. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, well, I shall make lots of cups of teas for myself and I'll make myself busy. <laughs> Yeah, um, so, no, yeah. I, yeah, from my Crazy. perspective, I completely understand what you mean. Like, after six horses, 
the last you don't want to go to the gym (laughs) and you know i'm i'm gonna go later on tonight and and you know connor you've had texts from me going like fuck i'm knackered like i don't i don't want to do this but actually i've found that you know once you get past that and you you do the work and do the work off the horse to make you better on the horse is is kind of what i say and and i get less tired from riding those six horses like my back feels better um you know i'm putting myself in better positions so it's a little bit of a, a chicken and egg situation and like you got to break that loop you know that's what i find yeah 100 the worst thing though for in racing like as i said i take breaks because of my degree which is so frustrating because i, mm. I kind of just want to crack on and, and leave off where i started but you can't like as soon as those muscles deteriorate even if i hit the gym sometimes it's difficult to get them back um so so i'd get back into racing and there'd be the first two weeks where I'd be so rusty so tired and you know the shift in routine is like in racing you you get at the racing yard and you have to be there like 6 a.m sharp sometimes 5 30 so then that's already ruining my sleep schedule um so then I end up having naps during the day and I'm just so tired all the time and to then like try and do anything else with your time during the day is impossible like it's I find yeah. it so hard like I get off the horse at 11 12 30 you know muck out finish at one and then like th- we get given a break before we have to do evening stables um but that break you kind of spend napping like or like <laughs> just resting yeah. and then you go back into the evening to muck out like seven maybe eight or more boxes and you're knackered again and all you want to yeah. do is eat and sleep like the, the the day is kind of like you can't really devote to anything but horses sometimes um yeah. it's a really like tough lifestyle and I, th- I don't think people realize how tough it can be they're just like yeah horses and i'm like no they're babies they're all yeah, your yeah, babies yeah. that you have to take care of mm, exactly well khadija we i mean for I'm sure Connor would agree with me. Like we could go on for hours here. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. yeah we we unpacked have a lot gone on for it. I think we have, yeah. We've gone a bit <laughs> over time, but there's still so much that I want to talk about. So we should, we'll probably have you back on at some point. But yeah, I love that. Definitely. Yeah. Just for me, like, thank you so much for coming on, and I think it's, it's really kind of opened up a conversation about so many of these things about about diversity, and but also from a personal perspective and our personal experiences um so yeah no just that was amazing thanks for coming on yeah thank, thank you, you so for much. asking me i've got one no, more it's quick been a question pleasure. one more go quick ahead question. go ahead so the butterflies on your race suit what does that signify <laughs> <laughs> um um <laughs> for my specific race um because it has a tradition of being quite flamboyant and it's normally actually it it started to try and get like women to have an interest in racing because another thing I forgot to mention on a day-to-day basis work riders most of them are actually women I'd say the population of uh, work riders in Newmarket if you went there there's a a healthy balance of women to men ratio um, riding it's just when it, it gets to that elite level of you know being a champion jockey that's where there's like a disparity um yeah but women in racing like as a jockey that's not like there isn't many women racing as jockeys so that race is meant to like encourage women to try it out to give it a go um so 
historically speaking, they'd get like people of significance, um, models, uh, actresses, um, and it'd be like a a press thing. Like it'd be like a a statement. You know, women are getting you know high profile women are are racing. You can try it too. You know, um, so a lot of the silks that are made for this race are kind of flamboyant um, mm. or made by female artists and, and fashion designers that are like high profile um, or very creative. And for my specific race, a woman called Maya Kathrinuzu, she's the designer that made the silks. Um, and we all got sent uh, on a, a PDF what our silks looked like. And uh, like the sketch when you first saw it, trust me, like I was like, are you serious? This is literally <laughs> like, scribbles of butterflies <laughs> on a white shirt and this other girl had like a meadow field of tulips on her silk and i was like uh i'm a bit i'm a bit i'm a bit pissed off but it's okay i can't be mad because the, like i should just be grateful for the fact that i can race um but yeah it at first wasn't something that i was too keen on i just wanted like a normal riding silk and then i saw them in person and when you see the silks in person it's pretty cool. Like, it's so cool. I'd say that normal racing silks can be very boring. <laughs> and I think it was interesting to have butterflies. I think now it's going to be a symbol of significance, hopefully, for the future when it, when it comes to my branding as well. Um, for the Riding a Dream Academy, a lot of the branding revolves around blue and butterflies. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's going to be my symbol going forwards, I think. So thank you, Maya. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks, Maria. Exciting. I love that. <laughs> well, I, I, speaking of uh, yeah. speaking of branding, before we just finish off, is there anything you want to plug? Um, that's a good question. I should probably do this. Um, <laughs> the Racing <laughs> Foundation for for taking that leap of faith to invest in the Riding a Dream Academy, um, the British Racing School for accommodating to my lack of racing ability and, and teaching me because I wouldn't be here um, and I wouldn't be safe to ride in a race if it wasn't for them um, also Ollie Bell for kicking this entire racing gig um, at the beginning kicking that ball rolling um, a lot of there's a lot of thank yous to so many people yeah. who had faith and 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 uh, just taking that leap of faith I, I guess um, but yeah hopefully the Riding a Dream Academy will continue to expand and applications for the second year um, have just opened yesterday. So anyone that is listening that may know someone that would like to try racing, please head to the applications portal at the Riding a Dream Academy uh, com. I think that's the website. Amazing. It'll be on Google. Yeah. <laughs> this goes to show no, how, how, yeah. much, um, how much better of a person she is than we are. Because when I said that, I meant was there anything you wanted to plug for yourself? But <laughs> like socials and stuff. Where can people find you? Oh, that's oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> right. I mean, my Instagram, my Twitter. Um, I'm mostly active on Instagram. I have a TikTok, but it's pretty embarrassing. So don't don't look at that. <laughs> <laughs> that it's, is all. Supposed to be anything else. TikTok is always embarrassing, right? Because the most views. <laughs> No, but honestly, like I'd, I'd say TikTok is where I express myself the most in terms of like mm. my personality because I, I just chat loads of doo-doo all the time um, about yeah. even topics that aren't to do with riding, just like political issues, climate change, anything. Um, yeah. Hijabi rights issues. So yeah, 
but mm. if you're interested in that stuff tiktok is is the place but for my day-to-day shenanigans instagram is where i'm at great stuff Sweet. and uh look out for that application for the riding school because uh i'm gonna i'm coming down <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant Another yeah, thank recommendation you so- just for you two if you're ever in Newmarket let me know because it is genuinely a very beautiful place to, to watch people at the hundreds just riding it's like controlled chaos there's just loads of racehorses loads of riders and it's just hilarious that sounds awesome I've never been to a horse race before so sounds good I'll be up for that brilliant just out, that's it thank you so much for coming on I like I mean I personally really appreciate you giving up well a bit more than an hour now um and just helping us unpack so many different topics in you know obviously what this is what we envisioned this was just so much better than what we'd envisioned so thank you so much for giving up your time and you know uh yeah just everything else thank you so much hey you guys have been a pleasure to talk to you and and cheers for the few for the future podcast shoots you're having yeah yeah brilliant all right All right, guys. So thank you very much for listening. We will catch you on the next one. Khadija, thank you. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get you one in the future. So Yushwag, do you want to plug where people can find you? Yeah, so on Instagram, I am at yushwag.su.eventing. On Facebook, I am yushwag.su.eventing. And my website is suyushwag.eventing.com. What about you, Connor? Mine is at Connor Lift Stuff on Instagram and at Stoic Strength Systems on Instagram. And we was also just set up a Patreon under the same name, Stoic Strength Systems. So give those a follow. I will put the links all down in the description if I figure out how to do it. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you like, share and subscribe to the podcast on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you next time.